We're continuing our truth-shaped series this morning. So if you have a Bible, open your Bibles up to Titus chapter 1. We're going to be in a different text each week as we look at how the truth of God's Word shapes us uh, and sets us apart. God asks us not to just do everything the way the world does it, but to live according to His Word. Um, So there's a lot of assumptions we have because that's just what we were taught by TV or by our culture, and the Word often challenges us to live differently. This week in our Truth-Shaped series, we're looking at Truth-Shaped Men. So we'll be in Titus chapter 1, and if you don't have a Bible but want to follow along with us, there are some black Bibles under the chairs. It'll be on page 999. Um, 999, you'll find the book of Titus. We'll be in Titus chapter 1. We'll read verses 5 through 11. The setting here uh, is the Apostle Paul writing to Titus, a church leader, um, and it's in the setting of Crete, which is kind of a crazy broken pagan place. And so the setting, the idea is that we live in a broken world, and Paul is saying we need men to help make things right, to stand up for what is true and good. So on Father's Day, we wanted to look at biblical masculinity today and think about what does it mean to be a truth-shaped man, and we're going to start with this leadership passage, and we'll skip around really a lot today. We'll look at some other passages as well, but primarily Titus 1. It's talking about church leaders. So in Titus 1, verse 5, it says, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So just starting off there, he's saying things are not in order. The world is messed up. It's broken. So I'm asking you to help put things in order by appointing elders, church leaders. Verse 6 says, If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. So again, Paul is challenging Titus to appoint male leaders in the church to stand up for what is right, to teach, to protect, to lead, to love well. Uh, We're going to break through a a lot of different concepts today, and what I want to just start off by telling you before I pray for our time is that I'll teach things today that a lot of you don't agree with. And I just want you to know that I'm okay with that. We're glad you're here. You don't have to agree with us. Um, This is what our leadership is committed to, uh, but there's a lot of folks that come here that don't necessarily agree with these ideas. We want to challenge you to consider this biblically. Is this what the Bible teaches? Uh, Even if it's different from what the culture teaches, is this what the Bible teaches as we consider biblical manhood? What does it mean to be a truth-shaped man? So let me pray for us. God, we thank you for your word. And I do pray today for open minds. Lord, it is so easy to just make assumptions, to just think what we've always heard and the culture is right. Uh, And we pray that you would shape us by your truth, by your word. Pray that your spirit would help us um, to see things in a new way, to see things with open eyes and open hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, nine years ago, uh, we decided to throw in 
with the greater Fort Hood area, uh, start this church. And so we moved to Harker Heights. At the time, we weren't sure if the church was going to be in Heights or Colleen. There was a lot of Heights people that first helped us to start the church. So we moved into Heights. We bought a house there. It was the first time that our kids all had their bedrooms upstairs. Uh, so when we were moving into the house, um, there's three bedrooms upstairs. And the first bedroom, when you come up to the stairs, the door opens right there to the top of the stairs, and the window looks out of the front door. So it's kind of like the watchtower room, right? So I just have one son, and when we moved in, he was only seven, not the strongest kid in the world at seven years old, but I told him, your job is to be in this first room because your job is to protect your sisters if bad guys ever break in or come running up the stairs. So this is your room, your room right here because it's your job. God's made you a man, boy, and your job is to stand up for the weak, to use your muscles to protect others. That's why God's made you that way. I know you might not all agree with that, and um, of course, he wasn't that strong as a seven-year-old. Now he's actually bigger and stronger than me. He can beat me up, so he's very helpful in the home protection area now, Um, but the idea is that God has made us different, and that doesn't mean we value women less. It just means we uh, honor the differences that God has made us with. And I also want to say, I, I understand, ladies, that probably two or three of you can beat me up, but statistically, God has made men stronger than women, right? That's just kind of the norm. The norm is that men are stronger than women, and God's design, as we read through Scripture, it's just all over Scripture, is that men should step into danger to protect the weak. That men's job is to be servant leaders who are willing to sacrifice themselves and use their strength to serve others. So the biblical view is that we see men and women as equal in their value before God, but complementary in their function and their roles in the home and in the church. The culture will tell us you have to pick one extreme or the other, right? The culture will tell you that if you think men and women are different, then you've automatically just veered off into traditional patriarchalism and you want men to dominate women and you don't really think women are worth anything. That's what the culture will tell you. Or if you recognize that they're equal value, then that means there's no distinction at all, and men and women should do everything the same, right? Those are the kind of two extremes that culture pushes us into, whereas the Bible says, no, men and women are different. They should have different roles, and that's okay, but they have the same value before God. We're all sons and daughters of God because of what Jesus did, not because of our um, shoulders or our bodies or our uh, hormones or anything else. We're equal before God but then we have different roles in the home and in the church. So I want to read a statement from the Church Planting Association that we're a part of. It's called Acts 29, because I think they, they wrote this really well to kind of help you understand the balance. So this is their view. They have the same view as us. It's often called complementarianism, which means we believe that men and women have complementary roles. Although we say, sounds like traditionalism, that men should lead, we also honor that men and women are equal before God. So they say it this way. We're deeply committed to the fundamental spiritual and moral equality of male and female and to men as responsible servant leaders in the home and church. Both men and women are together created in the divine image and are therefore equal before God as persons possessing the same moral dignity and value and have equal access to God through faith in Christ. Men and women are together the recipients of spiritual gifts designed to empower them for ministry in the local church and beyond. Therefore, women are to be encouraged, equipped, and empowered to utilize their gifting in ministry, in service to the body of Christ, and through teaching in ways that are consistent with the word of God. 
Both husbands and wives are responsible to God for spiritual nurture and vitality in the home. But God has given to the man primary responsibility to lead his wife and family in accordance with the servant leadership and sacrificial love characterized by Jesus Christ. This principle of male headship should not be confused with nor give any hint of domineering control. Rather, it is to be the loving, tender, and nurturing care of a godly man who is himself under the kind and gentle authority of Jesus Christ. The elders and pastors of each local church have been granted authority under the headship of Jesus Christ to provide oversight and to teach, preach the word of God in corporate assembly for the building up of the body. The office of elder and pastor is restricted to men. So in our church, we hold this, again, position that doesn't quite make sense in the culture. We have male pastors and male elders that hold final authority uh, in the church. But we also honor women as leaders and as people who minister among us in the church at the same time. Uh, There are several verses that they quote in their statement that I think are helpful to look up that kind of talk about distinction of gender and distinction between man and woman. And that's Genesis 1 and 2, Acts chapter 18, 1 Corinthians 11, Galatians 3, 28, Ephesians 5, Colossians 3, 1 Timothy chapter 2 and chapter 3, Titus 2, Titus 1 that we'll be in today, and 1 Peter 3. So repeatedly, Scripture doesn't go to one extreme or the other. Scripture doesn't say, we're all equal, that means there's no distinction. And Scripture doesn't go to the, to the extreme where it says, we're different, therefore women are inferior. Scripture says men and women are equal before God, and men should lead as servant leaders, not domineering, not controlling, as servant leaders. So that's the ideal. I want to start with just this big concept that men are called to shepherd. Men are called to shepherd. We should be shepherds. What does a shepherd do? Well, in Scripture, there are two big jobs that are pointed out uh, for what the official shepherds of the church do. The official shepherds are to feed the sheep with God's word and to protect the sheep shooting wolves, chasing off bad guys, that kind of thing, keeping false teaching out of the church, destructive heresies. So it's this feeding and protecting. Those are kind of the two primary roles of a shepherd through the lens of the Scripture. I know real shepherds do a lot of other things, right, like deworming and other things, but we'll we'll leave that to the side, okay? You professional shepherds can give me more info about that later, but uh, there's this idea of feeding and protecting. So what I want to argue is because... uh, the official shepherds of the church are given this role. That doesn't mean that then every other man in the church and even every other woman or every other leader in every other situation is not responsible for any of these other things. I would actually say that there's a similar responsibility we all have to shepherd each other in the body of Christ. So we believe there are official leaders, appointed leaders. The buck stops with us, elders and pastors of the church. But at the same time, there's this ideal of shepherding. So men, I want to focus on you a lot today. Women, a lot of these same things are going to be totally applicable to you. But men, you should be shepherds who are looking out for others. Are you just looking out for yourself? Or are you looking out for others because the good shepherd was looking out for you? We should shepherd other people. So Titus is real clear given the qualifications of a shepherd, godly man, a God that treats people right, that leads and feeds and protects and refutes false doctrine. So we kind of have that general framework in Titus. I also want to read to you from 1 Peter 5. So I would encourage you not to just be flipping around all these passages because I'm going to read a bunch today, but they're written there if you want to write them down. Uh, 1 Peter 5 says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight 
but not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So the contrast here is that you can either be shepherding willingly with joy because you want to lead and feed and protect those around you, or you're doing it under compulsion because you have to. Okay, I guess I got to do this. I got to do this to get what I want. I got to do this to impress people. I got to do this to get ahead. Or you could have this mind that is blown by the grace of God that the good shepherd laid his life down for you. So now with joy, you want to lay your life down for others. That's the picture that we have biblically. It's not, all right, guys, just suck it up and shepherd people because you have to. He's saying not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, not just to get something out of people. This is one of my big problems with the feminist worldview is that the idea is that here's the problem. We agree on the problem. Men are often passive or abusive. Do we all agree on that problem? That is a problem in the world, at least. Men are often passive or abusive. The feminist solution is we need more female leaders. And I would say the biblical solution is we need to have men have hearts that are transformed by the grace of God so that they would desire to be and then be trained to be servant leaders. Show men what right looks like. Don't just tell them, sit on the sideline, we need more female leaders. Say, this is what servant leadership looks like. And that is our heart as a church, to train men to be godly leaders. To say, yeah, being passive and just sitting out isn't the answer, and being domineering and controlling isn't the answer. Be a servant leader like Jesus. Follow Jesus' example. So it gives us this picture, and Peter goes on in this passage in 1 Peter 5. He says, don't domineer, but be examples of the flock. And then he says, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So as I've said, there's a lot of this stuff that's written to the official shepherds of the church. And then Peter just says, likewise, all of you. Likewise, all of you love each other because Jesus loved you first. Lay your life down for each other because Jesus laid his life down for us. So the image here is shepherding. I have a picture of a shepherd somewhere. I have no idea where he is, but that's a dude holding a sheep, right? And the idea is that we are to care for the sheep. We are to give our lives for them. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Psalm 23, a beautiful psalm, says this is what God is like. The Lord is our shepherd. He feeds us. He leads us. He protects us. So my question for you again, this is applicable to everybody, but I want to push on you men. Are you recognizing your role? Are you recognizing that God has done that for you? And then are you seeking to lay your life down to feed and to lead and protect others? Are you doing that? How are you doing that? Where are you doing that? And I would say if you're not doing that, it's because of a misunderstanding of God's relationship to you. It's you haven't fully apprehended that the good shepherd has laid his life down for his sheep, namely for you. And as you apprehend that, as you understand that and see Jesus in that light, that God cares for you and protects you, then you don't have to see other people as as an opportunity for shameful gain, as Peter says. You see, if God's not protecting you, if God's not taking care of you, then you've got to steal, kill, and destroy to get what you need out of other people. But if God is protecting and caring for you, you're free to care for others. You're free to lay your life 
down for others. And that's really the example that Jesus gives. And in John chapter 13, when Jesus washes the disciples' feet, it's this beautiful picture where it says, he knew who he was. He knew where he'd come from. He knew where he was going. Men, do you know these things? As men, we, we desperately want respect. We desperately want to be honored. We want to have lives that count. And if we're not sure that our lives count, that's going to twist us towards shameful gain. That's going to twist us towards manipulation or taking or feeling like we're under compulsion. But if we know that our lives count in Jesus because he laid his life down for us, if we know who we are, as it says, Jesus knew who he was. If we know the Father's love, as it says in John 13, Jesus knew the Father's love, it'll enable us, like Jesus, to get down on our knees and serve others. That's the picture of leadership. Again, the picture is not domineering control, and the picture is not being passive and sitting out. The picture is servant leadership, getting down on your knees and being able to wash others' feet. That's the picture that Jesus gave for us. That is what Jesus said. This is my picture for you of leadership. This is shepherding, laying my life down for the sheep, leading others. Two ways practically I think we need to do this, men. Uh, Feeding is always focused around the Word of God. So again, not all of us are called to be the, the teacher of the church or a teacher of the church, but we all should feed others on God's Word. So do you know it at all, right? Like, like you don't have to be a teacher. You don't have to be a nerd like me with as many books as I have, but you should begin growing in your knowledge of God's Word. You should be, begin growing in a confidence that God loves you. Begin growing in a confidence of what is right and what is wrong, understanding God's standards of right and wrong in a culture that no longer believes in it at all. You can't look to the culture, to the entertainment industry, or to magazines, or to blogs to understand what's right and wrong. You have to look to God's word. Our cultural institutions have completely given up on God's word and God's standards. So as men who are going to be leaders, we feed with God's word, we feed with the truth of the gospel of a God who loves us in Jesus, and we protect by saying, no, this is sin. This will kill you. This will hurt you. Don't go there. That is bad. And we have to be sure of these things because no one is anymore in our culture. We're we're losing that in our culture completely. The model is Jesus. The action is feeding with God's word and protecting and saying, no, that's evil. Don't go there. Don't jump off of that cliff just because all the other sheep are. That's wrong. Two, Two things I would say, men, just two areas to study and grow in is grow in your knowledge of the gospel God loved us in Jesus. Jesus took our, our sins upon himself and he gives us his perfect righteousness. Grow in your knowledge of that beautiful reality. And then grow in your understanding of God's moral law. Just the Ten Commandments. Do you even know the Ten Commandments? Like this is the biblical idea of what is right and wrong. Do you, do you know these things? We have some resources for you uh, out in the hallway. I gave away the Jesus Storybook Bible earlier. We have more of those. If you're looking for a good story Bible to read to your kids, there's a stack of them in the hallway. You can take one if you're going to read it to your kids, okay? We also have a book uh, called um, You Have What It Takes by John Eldridge, which is helpful if you're just kind of struggling at a basic level to understand God's love for you and how to parent your kids. Um, There's another one called Children of the Living God, which really helps you go deeper a little bit in understanding the gospel and what it means to walk with God. And then we have another one called A Neglected Grace, which just talks about the concept of dads leading their families spiritually. They're all short, okay? I purposefully got four short books, men, okay? So grab one of those. There's a bunch of them out in the hallway. Uh, Those will be helpful for you. Also, another resource I meant to mention earlier 
If you have ongoing questions, like I said, we, we welcome you if you don't agree with the idea of complementarianism or if you have different ideas on, on gender. Um, this is kind of the standard on the biblical view of complementarian gender roles. It's called Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. It's a really excellent book. It's, it's uh, kind of academic but understandable uh, at, a, at a lay level as well. It just talks through all the different major passages in the Bible on gender distinctions. So it's a helpful, helpful book. And I've got some others up here as well. Don't take those. You can take the books in the hallway, but don't take the books on my table. But you can come flip through them. Well, the next thing I want us to think about is how men should love sacrificially. So in Titus, it talks about a, a faithful shepherd being a one-woman man. That means he is faithful to his wife. He loves her well. The picture in Ephesians 5.25 is that we should love as Christ loved the church. We should love men as Christ loved the church, right? So again, it's not under compulsion. It's not like I've got to love to keep my wife happy, right? But because Jesus loved us, we want to love our wives. Because Jesus died for me, I'm willing to die for my wife. Now, I'm just like every other man. I'm often much more willing to take a bullet than to take out the trash, right? So I just want to confess that, that men, we should also love our wives in the non-glorious ways that don't include a cape, right? Because often we just want to love our wives in big ways that impress people, maybe impress her, maybe impress others, but we also need to love her in little daily small ways as well. Love your wives. The, the, the great verse is Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's the image. That's the picture. 1 Peter 3, 7 says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Men, you are called to live with your wives in an understanding way. And I know what you're thinking, but that is what you are called to, okay? Live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. This is one of my favorite verses that very succinctly captures the idea of uh, it's saying women are weaker and need special care, and they're equal heirs of the grace of God. So this is, again, that biblical worldview. It's not either or, it's both and. Absolute equality before God. We honor our wives as equal heirs, and we also give them special care. I mean, I was thinking about this, just an illustration of what this might look like, because um, it uses the term weaker vessel. And so you could think of that weaker vessel as like lesser, right? But I don't think that's what it means. I think uh, in the first century world, right, they would have like a sturdy clay pot or maybe a brass bowl that could be thrown around and could be used for uh, junky, dirty things. And then they would have the fine vase or the fine pitcher that would be used for special things. And that is what the scripture is saying about our women, that they should be given tender care, that they are special, not that they're lesser value, but actually greater value in some ways. So I thought a, a manly way to understand this, men, is a Bugatti. Um, any of you have a Bugatti? Can I borrow it? Okay. So, so men, imagine that the Lord graced you with a Bugatti. And out in, your, uh, out in the parking lot, you've got your work truck and you've got your Bugatti. Are you going to treat those two things differently? Yeah. Yeah, you're going to treat them differently, right? Like the Bugatti, there's going to be this sense of awe. There's going to be this kind of tender, special care. 
So, so don't hear weaker vessel as, as lower value, but like, I got I to gotta be careful with this, right? Like, if you gave me a work truck today, if one of you just wanted to donate a work truck to me, I'd just go out and I'd drive it and I'd use it. And I wouldn't think twice about it. I would feel completely capable of handling it. But if you gave me a Bugatti, I would think, I think I'm just going to leave it for a while and maybe study a little bit and um, read some books about Bugattis and kind of walk slowly towards it. Um, so, so there's this, this sense of awe and respect and tenderness you have with, with special items. And Peter is saying, that's, that's how you treat your wife. So again, this, the equal heirs of the grace of God, but tender special care. And so a husband's called to love his wife as a weaker vessel, sacrificially, loving her, giving her special honor and special care. Um, what are some ways that this looks? What are, what are some practical ways? So if you're married, I want to start with those of you that are married, because I think single men, you're called to this ideal of sacrificial love as well. It's going to look different though, right? So married men, you're called to sacrificial love, and I'd say, first of all, pray for your wife. Again, that's that sense of awe, right? Like, she is beyond me. I, I'm going to pray that God would give me the grace to handle her the way that I should. Because I don't pretend to fully understand her. There's excitement, there's awe, there's wonder. And I'm going to pray that God would help me to love her well. I'm going to respect her in that sense. Also, listen. Husbands, you need to listen to your wives. Because we don't understand our wives, we need to listen and listen well. So men, did you hear me? Men, listen to your wives. I know you're just looking at some shiny object or something. Listen to your wives. Pay attention to what they say. And related to this is love the wife that you have. Not the wife that you thought you were marrying or that you fantasized about or the woman you married 20 years ago. Love the wife you have. We all change. Even if you knew exactly what you were getting yourself into, which none of of us really do, right? But even if you knew exactly what you were getting yourself into, we change. We're not the same. Love the woman that you have today. Love who she is now. Love her as she is. Listen to what she says. Don't just listen to what you think she's going to say. But love the woman that God has given you. Love her sacrificially. It's going to take effort. It's going to take work. It's going to feel alien. There's this uh, theme again and again in all, you know, a lot of good marriage books and stuff about how men and women are different and how it's hard to understand each other. Um, and so I like to encourage people that we are missionaries, right? We're called to be missionaries that learn the other one's language. And men, you are called to lead in that effort, Right? In Ephesians 5, it sets it up and it says, you're the one that initiates that. I think women are called to that too. Women, you need to understand your husbands, but we're, we're pretty simple to understand, right? Pretty, pretty simple. Not very complicated. Husbands, initiate and begin understanding your wife and entering into her world and speaking her language that doesn't come natural to you. That's okay. Pray, listen, love the woman you have. Single men, there's great instruction in 1 Timothy 4 and 5. 1 Timothy 4 and 5, it says that we should treat older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. We have an unbelievably over-sexualized culture. Women are not sexual objects. Sex is this beautiful, specific thing for covenant marriage and a heterosexual relationship. It's this special thing that God says, yeah, it's great, and I thought it up, but it has this special use. But not everybody is a sexual object. Treat women with respect. 
Again, if you believe that God has taken care of you, you won't treat others selfishly. You'll treat others with special honor, with respect, and with love and purity. The last thing I want us to think about is that men should father consistently. And again, even on this point, um, even if you're not biologically a father, there's just this idea of these ideals of fathering, of loving and leading and disciplining consistently that I think are helpful for every man uh, and even for women in the body of Christ, leading others. Um, So in Deuteronomy 6, it gives us this picture. It says in Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. So it starts off with you got to love God first, right? And then it gives you instructions to lead your kids. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart and you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them. This is going to give you some teaching instructions here. And what's amazing in Deuteronomy 6 is it, it basically says all the time and everywhere. That is our teaching and leading responsibility to the young ones in our care. It says, you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And it goes on and on. It's like, and then your kids are going to ask you about it and you're going to explain things to them. And there's just, there's more there. But what I want you to understand is we should father consistently, all the time, everywhere. We're always leading our kids to the truth and leading our kids to see who God is and to respect what he has to say in their life. All the time, consistency is so important. Men, uh, we're naturally uh, just more scary than our wives. Again, typically, I know some of you ladies are very scary, but most of us, statistically, men have deeper voices, broader shoulders, uh, hairier, scruffier, stinkier, all that, right? And so it's very easy for us to rely on scariness to discipline our kids. And it's true that it's helpful sometimes, right? Like that can be a tool in your tool belt, but consistency is so much more important. In Colossians 3, we're told, children, obey your parents. It's going to be a blessing for you. It's good for you. Obey your parents. Good things are going to come out of that. But then it says this. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Why does Paul say that in Colossians? Because it's really easy, dads, to provoke and discourage our children. That comes naturally. We're good at that. We don't need any training to provoke, to make them angry, to discourage them. We can do that without trying, without thinking. It's going to take extra care to be consistent, to set the same boundaries, to keep the same boundaries, to discipline not in anger and in scariness and in out-of-control rage, but in consistent love. And again, the only way you're going to be able to do that is if you understand the relentless love, the consistent love that God has for you. We've been proven that by what Jesus did for us. That's been pictured for us in Jesus. Jesus taking our sin upon himself, taking responsibility for our problems, and giving us his righteousness. That is that true sacrificial love that makes us adopted into the family of God. So we are now perfectly fathered by God. We are fathered consistently by God the Father because of the sacrificial love of Jesus the Son. And as you understand that, that will free you to be able to father and lead those around you consistently. Again, not just swinging in when your kid steps out of line and you're angry and you can't take it anymore, so you're going to scream at them. But consistently, regularly being there to back up your wife and to direct your kids towards life and freedom. One of the big dangers, men, is that we discipline our kids just to keep a public face, just to maintain a reputation, right? Uh, One of the big issues back in the the Love 
husbands love your wives section in Ephesians 5, it says also that wives should respect their husbands because men need respect. And that often, that gets in the way sometimes of our parenting. Like we, we want respect so badly that we parent in anger because we don't want to look stupid in front of others. So wives, one of the ways you can help is by respecting your husbands. I've said this many times before. Women are never commanded in the scripture to love their husbands. Did y'all know that? You're never commanded to love your husbands. There's this one little verse that uses the English word love in Titus chapter 2. It says the older women should teach the younger women to love their husbands. But that's actually a different word in Greek, right? That's the love, the, the love word phileo, brotherly love. So women, you're never commanded to love your husbands. You're never commanded to love them. The closest thing is in Titus 2 where you're commanded to like them or think they're cool, okay? So take that and add that to the list. Like them, think they're cool, respect them, submit to them, esteem them, honor them. Those are the kinds of words that are used for women. That's not the language you naturally speak, right? That's kind of man language, but that's what we need. And as you fill us up with that because of the gospel, then that frees us more and more to remember the respect that we have in Jesus. Remember the respect that God has given us by adopting us as his sons. And so when we remember that respect, we're less tempted to discipline our kids out of a feeling of disrespect, out of a feeling of Man, things are out of control and we can be encouraged. So again, it's not, all your wives, it's not all wives' responsibilities, but that's one of the ways you can encourage your husband's wives. And fathers, don't discipline your children in a desperate look and search for respect. Know that you're respected by God. Know that you're fathered by God and allow that to free you up to have calm, to have poise as a man. Say, I know I'm taken care of by the Heavenly Father. I'm not desperate. I'm not going to fly off the handle. I'm just going to patiently, consistently love these kids and lead them. I'm not going to be out of control because God loves me and it's going to be okay. And he's fixing the world. He's making things right. I have a picture here of a father cheering on his daughter, teaching her to ride a bike. Oftentimes, uh, we make our kids respect of us, our kids' attitude. The main idea when, remember, you're trying to move them towards a goal. You're trying to get them to a place of flourishing, of maturity, of being more dependent on God the Father than they are on us as men. That's where we're trying to move them, right? So I often tell parents that that often looks like high control when your kids are little, but then that's got to look like less control as they get older because they've got to be ready to launch. Um, so I think riding a bike is a great analogy for that. You're trying, to, you're trying to achieve a goal, right? It's not all about you. It's about them, independent, out there doing their thing. That's where you're trying to get them. You're trying to train them, trying to move them forward. So discipline consistently and in love. Don't discipline in anger. Um, if you're injuring your child, you've crossed the line. If you're flying off the handle, you've crossed the line. You need to reconsider. You need to see the counselor. You need to talk to someone about it. Now, the, the flip side of that is we live in a world that thinks all pain and discomfort is wrong and evil. And I would say, that well, that's a little weird and sissified as well, right? So Proverbs is very clear that pain and discomfort is a tool in our toolkit in raising our children. So we shouldn't be afraid to use the tool of pain and discomfort to train and redirect our kids. There's a difference between pain and injury, okay? Um, there's a difference. I want to give my old football coach's definition, but that's just going to mess everything up. So there's a difference between pain and injury. Don't fly off the handle with your kids. Don't injure your kids. But you can cause them discomfort as you redirect them and train them consistently towards what is right. The Bible is very clear about that. And then another thing I would give you advice about is don't feel like you need to have all the answers. 
as you're parenting your kids. Again, continue to point them away from your leadership to the leadership of God. You want to be transferring their allegiance from you to God the Father and say, I don't have all the answers, but I know he does. That's especially hard for me. I'm a preacher. I want to have all the answers, right? Like I'm obsessively, compulsively always wanting to know the answer to everything. But I think it's really helped my kids over the years to say, I don't know, or let's pray about it. I don't, I don't know what to do. Or let's search the scriptures together and point them towards God and away from ourselves. So we father our kids consistently because we are fathered well by God. I want to close with this great picture of that in Romans 8. God's love for us as children of God, for all of us, whether we're a brother or sister in the body of Christ or we're a father, whatever our role may be, God wants us to know his fatherhood, know that he's adopted us into his family, that he delights in us, that he loves us. If you had an abusive father or an absent father, the reason that you know that was wrong is because you have hardwired into you an idea of what a good father should have been like. And in the scripture, that father is God. The God of the whole universe who created all things good, and even though we strayed into sin, he came after us. And he sent Jesus to pay the penalty for our sin to bring us back to himself. So he's adopted us as his child. Romans 8 says it this way, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. You belong to him. He loves you. He's proven that through Jesus. He's adopting us and pulling us close to his side. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that you do love us. We thank you that you showed us that through Jesus, and we thank you that you show us that through the Holy Spirit, day by day, helping us to dare to trust you, to dare to cry out to you, Abba, Father. We thank you that you are good. I pray for those that are here that struggle because Father's Day is a hard day, and I pray that this would be a day that we would celebrate that you are our Heavenly Father. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.